Hello, everybody. Uh, so this is Stefania Sesia from Ublocks. Uh, I'm the head of global application marketing for um, automotive. From the very beginning, the, uh, the vehicular communication was part of the autonomous vehicle concept. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Stefania. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much for the nice welcome. You're here to answer some of the questions that I have about autonomous driving and V2X technology. But before we get into all of that, I have to ask you, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Yeah, thank you for the question. So honestly, I don't have um, an, an example of that. And actually, since the engineering studies, you enter in an environment with approximately 10% of women, at least at my time, I would say probably now things have changed a little bit. And this is more or less the same during all your career. So uh, you start making no differences between men and women, I would say, at least not looking at it as being a, a way really to get um, empowerment. Actually, in my case, I always thought about the fact that being a woman in engineering, you need to show that you are as good as or even better uh, in terms of knowledge, competencies, and skill set uh, to be really um, uh, empowered in this kind of um, uh, business, I would say. Uh, so um, again, I don't have really specific example on this. Maybe I, ca I can tell you something, um, a small example maybe related to this in, uh, that happened in my previous, in one of my previous company in Intel, where there was a nice program of women in engineering, uh, where the idea was to organize conferences with um, women that achieved uh, remarkable results or remarkable careers in their field. And that was very interesting to um, look at them really as role models and even to increase the network. Yeah, that's great. I've been learning a lot about different programs that do exist for women in technology and how many companies have things in place to either help advance women or to just recognize women who are doing a good job. So that's kind of cool. I've been learning a lot about that doing this podcast. You have your PhD in mobile communications, right? Yes, absolutely. So to be honest with you, I didn't know it was possible to get an actual mobile communications PhD. Usually it seems individuals in the industry have degrees in things like engineering or physics. So how did you become interested enough in mobile communications to get an advanced degree in it? Yeah, indeed. Um, actually, I have a degree from um, an engineering school from Politecnico in Torino in Italy. And uh, the degree was already in telecommunication, which is uh, somehow related to uh, to the mobile communication. And then during my studies, I, I did a master in France. So I moved to France and I joined a program in a research center called the Eurocom, focusing already on mobile communication. So there the idea was really to dig deep into the um, in the theory of uh, the, uh, the mobile communication within the telecommunication program, actually. And it was at that moment during the master's studies that I decided to continue on this subject. And I started a PhD on mobile communication. And actually, the subject of my PhD was more on coding 
theory that is one of the theory specifically that is required uh, in order to have a reliable communication over the wireless channel. So why I got interested in mobile communication is uh, because uh, during that period, I would say, when I did my master, it was the years 2000, approximately, the mobile industry was really growing a lot, and uh, mainly in consumer market. And actually, it still does. I mean, it still grows, continues to grow in different verticals, in consumer, in automotive, in industrial market, and so on. And I really found it fascinating to have the possibility to go deeper into the understanding of the theory behind uh, efficient ways to um, handle the communication in wireless uh, environment. Very cool. And actually, while researching you for this podcast, I discovered that you have authored a number of textbooks on you know, LTE, yeah. 5G, which for me, who's only been in this industry for about two years, I realized I should probably be purchasing some of these books. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm fascinated with the concept of V2X, which you know, in simple terms, is this idea that an autonomous vehicle should speak or be connected to everything else on the road, not just other cars. So pedestrians, street signs, the road itself. My first question to you is, when did V2X really become part of the autonomous vehicle conversation? Like, when did the industry realize that it's simply not enough for cars to speak to each other? Um, so first of all, uh, I mean, vehicular communication is really, uh, for me, a fascinating topic and something that uh, I expect to uh, uh, to grow into the market in the in the next uh, in the future. Um, to answer your question, I believe that um, from the start, from the very beginning, uh, I believe that the uh, the vehicular communication was part of the autonomous uh, vehicle concept. And the reason for that is that at the end, it can be seen as an additional sensor, of course, with completely different characteristics with the sensors, the local sensors that the vehicle has. But um, it was always recognized that uh, through the communication, you can get a huge amount of information. And these can be definitely useful in order to enhance the comprehension of the situation, and in particular for the assisted uh, or the autonomous vehicle. Of course, before you can arrive at that level, you need to have intermediate steps, you need to have baby steps, because of course, integrating this into the vehicle is already complex, and it is even more complex when you want to use the vehicular information uh, in order to be uh, bias the behavior of your assisted a vehicle or even further whenever you have a completely fully autonomous vehicle. The reason for that is that, um, again, the, the vehicular communication has really a completely different way of working compared to the other sensors like camera, LiDAR, radar. And there has to be, um, I mean, there are several challenges that have to be uh, tackled um, around the vehicular communication. First, the trustability of the data, the security around the data, the availability also of all the um, infrastructure that uh, is required in order to really provide the data uh, everywhere for the uh, for the vehicle then uh, there are safety 
concerns as well and safety issues that have to be tackled. And of course, from the vehicle point of view, also what is the best architecture in order to take into account this information um, in the vehicle in an efficient manner. So all in all, I think that the vehicular communication has always been part of the uh, of the uh, autonomous vehicle concept. But in the industry, I think that we will see in the market intermediate steps where at the beginning you will see the vehicular communication as an information for the driver, then little by little, uh, to, it will be possible to use this information in order to help the assisted vehicle or the autonomous vehicle. And then maybe, why not, at the very end, we will see also some decisions that are really relying on the communication, but these will come later on. There are also, um, there is roadmap for this vehicular communication that has been uh, defined in uh, several um, consortium, industry consortium or standardization bodies that um, uh, provides indeed those um, intermediate steps where you see the vehicular communication as information first, then uh, as a way to exchange information about uh, what you see. Uh, thanks to your local sensors, and then going further where you use the communication in order really to cooperate um, in an active manner with the vehicle, which means that the idea is uh, that in the future there will be vehicle vehicles that are capable to somehow cooperate with other vehicles in front of them and define a proper way of behaving, but as a system, and not only taking the decision considering a single vehicle. Uh, and of course, these create even more challenges to be solved. And it's quite interesting area. It is very interesting. And at CES, you gave a presentation on V2X where you broke the technology down into different categories. The categories were V2X for sensing, V2X for cognition, V2X for decision, and V2X for actuation. What do all of these mean and why are they each an important element to the overall autonomous driving conversation? This is really to illustrate the fact that the vehicular communication can help in all the stages that are normally involved in the autonomous vehicle process. So if you think about this process, uh, first you need to sense the environment to understand uh, what are the objects around you? What is the, the what are the other vehicles around you? Whether there are pedestrians, for example, whether there are obstacles, then you need to recognize a specific scene um, in your environment. Then you need to take a decision about what is the best maneuver that the vehicle has to take, and then you need to actuate this and to really um, um, define how the vehicle is uh, is moving. And if you think about that, basically the vehicular communication can help in all those uh, stages because first of all, the V2X, if you look at the V2X as a sensor, it can give you quite a lot of information around the environment, on the environment around you, because uh, thanks to the vehicular communication, you have information such as the status of the vehicles, the location of the vehicle, uh, the acceleration, the speed, or information about uh, what is happening, whether the vehicle is stationary, whether the vehicle has an accident, and so on. So it's a rich content that you can get thanks to the communication, which gives you um, important information to sense your environment. Having said that, um, thanks to this, 
the V2X can, of course, give you additional information that help in the recognition of the scene that is happening around you. Um, you can think about the fact that um, in a certain information in the vehicular communication, you can inform about what is your intent actually in terms of maneuver or where you want to go, which helps, of course, a certain vehicle to understand what is the scene. Then uh, the vehicular communication can be seen as, a, as an additional mean to um, uh, take the decision on the best maneuver that you need to, that you need to take. And finally, uh, at the end, uh, you can use the, the V2X even to confirm that the maneuver that has been decided is the correct one and hence is exactly the one that has to be put in place into the vehicle or advised to the driver. So all in all, the, the vehicular communication can help in all the stages and it depends on the different car OEM, on the architecture, how you want to use this information. Yeah, thank you for breaking that all down for me. It's it's really helpful to sort of understand it in the stages of autonomous driving. Let's talk a little bit about U-Blocks specifically. What is the company doing to advance autonomous driving? Yes, thank you for the question. So U-Blocks is uh, highly committed to support our end customers and to enable them to build the autonomous uh, driving platform and their concept. Um, we have the possibility to adapt our offering to different requirements that the customer might have with premium uh, performance, thanks to a variety of products that we can offer to the market. Of course, the requirements are different depending on the ID level that the different customer have that they want to achieve, and also their architecture that they put in place. So again, we have a wide variety of solutions in the automotive space that can support our customer mainly in the positioning and the short-range uh, domain, spanning from uh, standard precision positioning with our M8 families to high-precision positioning, achieving a centimeter accuracy with the F9 families, with our automotive dead reckoning technology and secure solutions, and of course, compatible with correction services that are required to achieve uh, good uh, precision. On top of that, when um, the autonomous driving will be highly deployed, uh, we believe that there will be more and more infotainment content that will need to be delivered into the vehicle with the completely independent entertainment systems for the different passengers into the, into the vehicle. And this is where our short range of products, for example, our Jody family, can really support those kind of uh, um, applications and requirements. So all in all, I think that we are highly committed really to uh, enable the market to go on and to uh, uh, deploy and have the right products to um, uh, deploy in the market to the autonomous vehicle platforms. Okay, this next question is going to surprise no one, but where do things like 5G and edge computing fit into this conversation? Yes, indeed. Uh, um, I think that 5G is becoming real. And, um, you know, there are several operators that are deploying now the 5G, mainly in the consumer market. And this is really the first step uh, is the deployment to reach people, to reach uh, highly uh, densely populated uh, um, zones, uh, to reach most of the people. Um, however, at least in the, in the, the uh, um, 
uh, automotive market, I believe that before 5G becomes the leading communication technology, there are some aspects that has to be solved, and in particular coverage issue, which is not yet completely solved, not even for the 4G technology. Because actually when you think about uh, the fact that you drive even in rural area, for example, and often you can have holes in uh, uh, the communication. Um, this is, of course, something that has to be um, somehow solved because in the automotive domain, uh, you don't need necessarily coverage in terms of population, but you need coverage in terms of territory. And of course, uh, um, it's completely understandable that the first deployment for the 5G are really um, targeting uh, population and uh, you know big cities at the very beginning. Um, then if you want to rely again on the communication to take decisions or um, um, to um, dispatch an AD service, you need to, to have availability of the service or at least a prediction of the quality that can be achieved at any given time and for a given duration. Of course, of that, on top of that, there are even you know the same challenges that I mentioned before: the uh, security, the reliability that the communication has to to bring in order to really uh, be capable in an automotive um, domain to use the uh, the technology in order to somehow bias or to provide the useful information for the autonomous driving. Um, 5G is expected to um, fill this um, or some of this gap. Uh, in order to be capable to use more extensively the communication in the context of AD. Um, but for sure, at the beginning, the communication, at least this is my view, will be used as an add-on. And as an add-on compared to all the rest that is available in the vehicle and all the other sensors. Uh, because at the end, uh, it's very difficult to rely 100% on the communication, on the wireless communication um, availability. Then you mentioned the edge computing. I believe that you are talking about off-board edge computing. This is a very interesting area um, because at the end of the edge computing can be seen as an extension of the computing power available in the vehicle with uh, the possibility to offload the tasks to the edge computing. So basically what you are doing is that you are increasing the computing power of the vehicle. Again, also in this case, there are several barriers. Those are topics that, especially for the edge computing and the offloading in the edge, in the edge computing, um, uh, those are topics that are um, uh, probably in a more research stage. Uh, and there are several barriers that uh, need to be um, somehow tackled. One is latency, and 5G reduces those barriers. We have seen several you know, um, proof of concepts, uh, uh, several analysis that shows that uh, really 5G is providing very good latency from an end-to-end -end point of view. There is the reliability um, topic that has to be tackled, and 5G at least promises to reduce really this barrier and to fill in this gap. But there are still security issues, privacy issues, mobility issues, and on top of that, even business uh, questions. That is, uh, who will pay for those massive deployments that are needed in order to be capable to really use this edge computing as an extension of the vehicle? Last but not least, there are, of course, challenges from the software architecture and the partitioning of the software architecture whenever you want really to use an external computing power as if it was on board into the vehicle. So all in all, I think that this is still in the research stage.
uh, moving, of course. There are several uh, activities related to this, and it is definitely an interesting area to explore in the future. I really liked your point that you said early on in your answer about how autonomous driving doesn't require population coverage, but territory coverage, and that right now 5G is sort of focusing on population coverage. And I agree with that. It made me realize that I do tend to categorize autonomous driving as a city or urban application. Have you, how much are people thinking about it as a, like in the, in rural locations? Um, actually, uh, indeed, there are different, uh, um, different, um, say, areas where you could um, have the autonomous vehicle. Um, and probably uh, at the beginning, it's more related to highway, uh, where you can have um, um, highly autonomous uh, vehicle features that are enabled, because at the end, you are in a controlled uh, uh, situation, right? You don't have um, um, junctions uh, every um, 50 meters. You don't have uh, vehicles that are um, passing on the right-hand side, on the left-hand side. Uh, you don't have traffic uh, traffic uh, lights uh, or roundabouts that need to be handled. So I think that uh, highway is probably a more controlled environment at the beginning. Uh, but of course, when you talk about AD, AD level three, AD level four, um, then there are different environments that you might want to cover. And little by little, the idea is to come to an AD level five, where you will have uh, a broad adoption of the, a complete adoption of the autonomous um, uh, features, where basically your vehicle will be capable of handling every single situation, independently of whether you are you are in a highway in a rural environment or in a highly populated, dense um, environment. Okay. And for my last and possibly hardest question that I'm sure everyone is asking is when is mainstream adoption of truly autonomous vehicles going to happen? Yes. And that's the one million question. I think I would be happy to have the crystal ball to tell you exactly this. Um, so it depends on what you mean by truly AD, because, you know, SAE is defining different levels of the AD between one to five. Um, with the AD level five, that is, as I mentioned, the the, uh, the final uh, growl where you have eyes off, hands off. In every situation, you can do something completely different. You can have your uh, conference call, you can work, and there is a machine that is basically taking over in every single situation. But if you think at the AD, at, at the AD autonomous vehicle, even in uh, lower uh, levels, then we have uh, AD level two that is uh, somehow already available. We see AD level three that starts to be visible into, into the market in certain regions. And then the AD level four, so probably when you talk, when you say truly AD, you probably what you mean is the AD level four or level five. So this is where indeed the driver can start doing really different things and it has uh, quite long time before taking over uh, the, uh, the driving. So analysts uh, predict that for the next decade, the market will be dominated by the, uh, by the level two, uh, with a higher level of automation actually that are growing, but slowly, I would say. Um, 
So my view is that we will start uh, seeing some uh, level four in the market for specific cases, like, uh, for example, some uh, automated taxi, some shuttle in specific area. And probably this will happen uh, towards 2024, 2025, where there will be some non-negligible adoption of those type of automated taxi and shuttles. But in again, in specific uh, conditions and probably not everywhere in every environment uh, and for uh, basic passenger cars and probably for this we will need to wait a little bit uh, a little bit longer to have a wide adoption really where you will see 80% of the vehicles completely autonomous what i can say is that i'm pretty sure that my younger daughter will not need to have a driver license in let's say 15 years time frame so <laughs> We will see. Anyway, I'm sure that um, Ublocks is uh, well prepared to support uh, the variety of our customers and especially the variety of requirements to address the expansion in the autonomous uh, driving market in the next decade. Okay, so if your youngest daughter might not need a driver's license, there's some, okay, there's like a lot of hope that maybe I won't have to drive my whole life. That's that's exciting especially now with snow snow everywhere i would be happy exactly hand control over to a machine well stefania thank you so much for taking the time thank you very much for inviting me for this uh, podcast it has been a pleasure Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Speglia. 